branding awareness is happening, whether you expect it to or not. And yeah, maybe they didn't all stop and you didn't get all your badge scans like you thought you were going to, didn't have all the conversations, didn't close all the deals. But every campaign that you do, there's a certain amount of it that you need to allocate toward the branding and impressions piece. I love that the CMO is championing this because this is something that you have to look at at that long tail. And usually the kind of the rule, the marketing rule of thumb is 30%. 30% of your campaign should be talked up to branding and awareness, no matter what like that spend is. Like it could be an ad, it could be a expo, it could be a white paper, a webinar, whatever your spend is, that is a 100% win because you made up your ROI expectation and then your branding expectation. Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest is disrupting the status quo of the CMO. What's going on with CMOs today? Their job tenure is short. CEOs have unrealistic expectations on what CMOs should be doing. I'm one of those, guilty. CMOs don't manage expectations nor delineate what the business objectives are. We're going to find out why. Stakeholders have fixed ideas on what marketing is. We all know that. And CMOs are siloed. With marketing being the lifeblood of a company's growth, the status quo has got to be disrupted. And CMOs are asking for help. Our guest's passion for marketing and entrepreneurship has led him to start three companies, and he's consulted and coached many entrepreneurs to develop marketing plans and hone their pitching. Coming to us live from Austin, Texas, please welcome our disruptor founder at The Marketing Starter, Tim Hines. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Yeah, that's how we say it down here in Austin. Good to connect with you, KJ. Thanks for having me on. Yes, good to connect with you too. You know, Texas is my home state, right? I do. I do. We miss you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I did an internship for six months after school. You know, my background is in crisis management. So it was in crisis management in the healthcare field. So Texas definitely has a, a warm place in my heart. Let's talk about what's going on with CMOs today. But first of all, tell our listeners what's your ingredient for disruptive innovation? That's such a big question. And I was thinking about this before coming on because there's just, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about when it comes to disruption. I mean, as you mentioned, I've worked with a lot of startups that in that tech and startup sector, everyone is looking to be disruptors. And like that whole disruption buzzword almost became even cliche in tech for like the longest time. You know, for me, I like to take a look at what people are doing in marketing and try to just tear things down to a foundation. Because 
when a company is starting to march down a marketing path, they often lose their way. They forget why they exist. They forget what their purpose is in marketing. For me, it all begins with understanding why a company is doing what it's doing in the first place. But then as a marketing leader, knowing what you're doing at its core, understanding your personal why within your mini marketing department or greater marketing department, whatever it might be, is where I always start from. So when I'm coming in and working with a company, I'm always looking at trying to tear down all of the walls and just come in with like a sledgehammer. Imagine like you're redoing the inside of a house and you're knocking down walls. That's how I come in and disrupt as I break stuff down and I try to build back up all of the great functions and everything inside of the, that should exist within the marketing org and redefining how marketing is a champion within the company. So for me, it's it's just coming in and tearing, tearing stuff apart. And some people might not like it, but eventually you get everyone on board. I'm a big believer in fundamentals and really getting that rock solid foundation. I mean, you're really talking about mindset and leadership for CMOs. And sometimes I think CMOs don't think they have the right to come in and say, what's my core purpose and why am I here? But that would tell them if they're at the right company or not too, right? I mean, 100%. And I would also tell my listeners, I mean, look, this guy not only works with startups, he's a corporate CMO. So it's good to have both sides of the spectrum. You really know what's happening. I dip in and out. I've done my own thing. I've consulted and worked for startups. I've done the corporate side. Yeah, I'm always kind of ebbing and flowing. And you learn a lot from those different experiences, for sure. Yeah. And there's fundamentals that apply to all of it, like almost like natural laws, right? So like of the sciences, if you know those... You can build on top of it. You know, I mentioned CEOs having unrealistic expectations of marketing. Now, (laughs) I have to say, I am also trained in marketing, but PR and crisis management has always been my bailiwick. Like we were trained in PR, like marketing and sales, because you really have to know those things when you're reverting a company back. But there are unrealistic expectations that CMOs have. There's things that drive them. One of the biggest things that I've been reading about in the news, and I see this all the time, CMOs are very worried about measuring ROI. Is it that they're worried about measuring it for the CEOs? Do the CEOs have these short-term, like unrealistic expectations that don't match the long-term? They don't define what the business objectives are. Is things changing? Like, what's the worry? I think the worry is multifaceted, especially when you're looking at things that are changing and speculations related to the economy and stuff like that. I mean, if you look at just what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, right? Imagine being the CMO for uh, for SVB. What's going on with them? Or even you look at what's going on with Bud Light, decided to take a interesting stance on something. And now there's different repercussions that are happening from both of those examples. I think today what CMOs are missing or what they can do to kind of mitigate that crisis, that concern that maybe is coming from the from the CEO perspective or the other leadership perspective is that it, it all actually what it boils down to is really is attribution and understanding what you're doing at the marketing level and how you can tie that back to revenue, how you can tie that back to success. But it's really coming back to defining a few key areas on what success is on the marketing front. And this is something that I 
always having a battle with, even in my day job where I'm working now with a company called Amtrap. So I'm the CMO of a company called Amtrap. And one of our things that we're focusing on is, yeah, we need to grow the business. We have revenue targets that we're trying to hit. But there's a certain degree of every marketing campaign that you have to chalk up to branding and awareness and getting your name out there. And that's something that I think that is hard for executive teams, especially those that don't have any sort of maybe marketing background or traditional marketing understanding to wrap their heads around that there's a value in that too. And so you have to come to the table as a marketing leader, as a CMO with very specific metrics and maybe in a dashboard that you put together, you say like, hey, here's what we said we're going to do. And here's how we're hitting those things. And here's how I'm actually going to be measuring it as well. So the determining what the units of measure are and how you're going to measure against it with the goals that ultimately you as a marketing leader need to translate from the overall business goals. So it's the breakdown of communication and that sense of urgency that's coming from uncertain times or making big jumps in changes that are happening in in today's economy. Yeah, I get that. So I see stakeholders, I see other executives that aren't familiar with marketing, they really focus on bottom of the funnel. And you're talking about other areas of the funnel. There's thought leadership and engagement above the top and then top of funnel and middle of funnel. And then you've got bottom of funnel, which, you know, all leads to that. These stakeholders are looking at why aren't CMOs setting those expectations and educating these stakeholders? What's Where's the disconnect? I think the disconnect comes in in multiple ways. One is that they aren't they are doing a good job of communicating, number one, how long it takes to get through this funnel, which is different for every industry, every company, every prospect will move through it at different times. You can't just set a great white paper out there for something atop a funnel, expect someone to click it, to read it, and then boom, they're in the middle. Then boom, they're in the end by the end of the day. Yes, sometimes that can happen in a day. But you have to look at what tradition has happened in the company and what is happening within that industry as far as like the buyer journey and how long that takes. That's something that I think is really important to level set as well. Because you could say like, I'm going to build this great new funnel flow and it's going to have this asset and it's going to, you know, it's going to drive this amount. And then the CEO is like, oh, great, cool. That's going to happen this week. And you go, whoa, whoa, no, no, this could take three months for that prospect to work their way all the way through it, right? So that, to me, is one that I'm always trying to communicate. But I think one of the biggest breakdowns actually comes with that sense of urgency that CMOs have to prove themselves, right? They want to come in, they want to knock something out of the gate, get that low-hanging fruit and really prove themselves. And they work so rapidly that they sometimes will cut corners or missteps, but they're just trying to make something happen. And they oftentimes do, but then they miss that long, that long tail piece of the marketing plan that they can't then capitalize on. And so that's part of the reason why their tenure is so short is because they're like, oh, I'm busting my ass trying to get all this low hanging fruit that the executive team wants. And I do that and then I get burned out and then I get those early results, but then I can't get the long tail ones. And then now I'm out of here and I'm on to the, onto the next thing, right? And so they're not prioritizing and really laying out a good plan of how they're going to build and get some quick wins, but then focus more longer term. And that's one thing that I'm working diligently with my counterparts, trying to level set and say like, okay, we're going to do this thing. You know, we're going to launch this new product or we're going to launch this marketing campaign. 
but we may not see results from that campaign for six months, a year. That's the reality. If we get anything sooner, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And you just have to keep saying that in every marketing meeting and every one-on-one and just repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. So that way they understand because it is all about expectation setting at the end of the day. Yeah, it is. It's like they need their own PR campaign internally with the stakeholders, right? Well, that's one, that's one of the things that CMOs need to do is you have to master internal communication. You have yeah. to you have to be your own voice and advocate for yourself and for your team and do your own internal PR. Yes, 100%. 100%, yes. You said something and I'm like, oh, I want to go on a tangent here just a little bit. Not really, but you mentioned attribution. Now, I see this misused a lot and it's not fully understood. And like attribution could come, let's say with a prospect, there could be many points of attribution before the prospect actually buys or becomes like a real sales qualified lead, right? And is this part of the confusion of measuring the ROI of how to really define that? Like what is the attribution and where to put those funds and communicate that internally? Yes. So that is a a struggle. And it's something I try not to bring other executives too far into because it does become a rabbit hole, right? I think attribution modeling really needs to stay within the marketing function. And then once you kind of have it figured out, you can communicate it outside of. But that's one of those things that if you go, hey, check this thing out, attribution model, the last thing you need is your CEO to come to you and start, start asking you about your <laughs> attribution model. If they don't let, your, don't let the executive team know what attribution modeling is, they will be all up your ass. And they, like, don't say, don't use that word. Great advice. <laughs> don't let your CEO know what an attribution model is. They will be up don't, your ass. <laughs> don't. What's cool about attribution modeling, there's a lot of great MarTech tools out there that can help you kind of master this. And depending on what CRM you're using and marketing automation tools, there's you know a lot of different plug and play things that can help you out. So no matter which thing you choose, I think it's good to have some sort of foundational setup, you know, going back to that foundational talk, foundational setup with your modeling. For me, it's like, keep it as simple as possible. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's first touch, it's last touch, it's middle touch, it's this touch, it's 10 touches. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm very much a first touch kind of guy. Like, hey, did they see the ad? And they clicked through the ad and then they came through and they did a hundred other things. And but the first place that they saw this, was that a marketing related thing? Cool. And then you can kind of look at over time, as you're building out your marketing foundation, you can change it. But I love going to a, a first touch thing. So other people might be like, oh, that's crazy, Tim. But it's always last touch. Okay, sure. Everyone kind of has their own opinion. But when you're starting your marketing, when you're paring down things and redoing your foundation, to me, I like looking at a, a first touch thing because that's going to be the easiest one to tie back to revenue, in my opinion, in in my history of kind of setting these things up. This is like all over the news, like comedians are talking about it. Like I was interviewed by the media years ago on this, like what would happen if AI got involved in marketing and especially PR? What's your take on that? The problems, but also the solutions. I was actually working on a, um, and I will be giving a, a talk on this uh, later this year at a pharmaceutical conference uh, that is bringing a bunch of marketing people together. And my talk is based on that. Yes, AI is here and it's rapidly changing, but it's not here to take your job. That's my positioning on it. My positioning is that it's here to enhance. It's here to try to make it easier. 
it's going to present new challenges, just like any other technological advance that we've seen throughout history, right? You got to evolve or die. And so part of the evolution is utilizing this tool to help make your job easier, to help make you be more efficient. From a CMO perspective, I don't think it's going to be taking any CMOs jobs. I don't think it's going to severely impact them in any major way, except giving you another tool that's going to help you do your job a little bit better. You know, it's not going to replace us doing an interview here on a podcast. It's not going to replace me building a complete marketing plan that it has all the nuances and special campaign elements that are unique to my company, my industry. Yes, I can go, hey, ChatGPT, give me a marketing plan. It'll be like, okay, you need an executive summary and a budget and a this. And and then you go ask it to give you a marketing plan. And then competitor goes and asks to give a market. And then we're all doing the same marketing plan. Not only are we all doing the same marketing plan, but it's from a year ago, right? But that's something I think people need to understand. The data that is turning back to you is a year old, right? It's not keeping up with every single thing that's put in at that moment. What's in there is 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 old and it'll catch up, sure. We all go in and start asking it the same questions. We're all going to get the same answers and then everything's going to become vanilla. So I think it's a great basis for generating a template, for generating something that then you need to take as a marketing leader or as a brand marketer specifically, and put your brand wash on it. You have to put your voice on it. And but it but instead of sitting there going, oh man, I just can't think of those five bullet points to start this article. It's a great way for you to get those, make your time more efficient, getting those bullet points, but then you expand on it and you make it better for you. So I think it's another great uh, tool to have in your arsenal. And we have a whole pitch writing team and they use AI to almost like a creative meeting, like riff some ideas. But listen, that data is a year old. It has, as we know, in the court of public opinion, I mean, news is like at the speed of thought. So they have to stay on top of that. But it has saved, I swear to you, two hours a day on each pitch writer. Exactly. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. You've seen the um, writers are all on strike right now in Hollywood. No, I didn't see that. Is that you didn't see news? That? Okay, oh well, in this, week, in this week that we're recording this, the writers have gone on strike. And so, like, if you go watch any of the late night shows, they're all reruns right now. So a bunch of shows are doing reruns this week as they're trying to work through the writers' guild is trying to work through their, their strike that they're having. But I heard an interesting piece in that in the news story where they want a provision that actually protects them from AI influences. In this little deal that they're putting together, like, yeah, we want increased wages to keep up with inflation, to keep up with, you know, having to put food on the table. We want better hours. We want this. We want that. But one of the things that they said was we want provisions that is not going to let AI take our job. So they're scared of it, right? Because they do a lot of what you were just describing. They're going to, the family guy writers are going to come sit down. They're going to be like, okay, what's funny? You know, and they're going to riff and they're worried that maybe they can use AI to do that. So they're trying to add that in there, which I think is kind of funny. (laughs) Well, you know what's going to happen is they're secretly going to do it on the sly because some of them already use it. Many (laughs) of them use it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of that, you know, that goes into talent. Keeping talent, talent retention, talent acquisition, right? That's a big problem right now for CMOs and their teams especially after the pandemic, what's going on there? And it's really causing a lot of like overload on marketing teams today. What are CMOs doing about it? And are they caught up in all of this? No, I mean, no one's caught up on that. I think we're still trying to figure out what this 
new working normal is like, right? Most people are saying, hey, I want to maintain this work from home lifestyle or I want to do a hybrid thing. And some now you're seeing a lot of companies are coming back saying, no, we have these expensive offices. Everyone come back. So it's really company by company thing. And again, industry by industry thing. Where I've seen the most impact on that is with, it's more of a generational dynamic, right? The younger the worker, you got your Gen Zs, you got your younger millennials. I'm an older millennial myself, but you got your your Gen Zs. My kid is, uh, she's 16. So she's a kind of a middle Gen Z, but some of them are in the workforce now. And they're like, I want to work in the evening and I want to work remote. I'm going to go take a, a year and work from... Brazil or whatever. Yeah, they want to have that flexibility. And so I think you're seeing a lot of pushback on that. Ultimately, if we're trying to drill it down to what the CMO can do, they're bound within what the company's parameters are on work flexibility and things like that. But what I'm seeing in marketing is that a lot of what we do in marketing can be done Remote can be done over Zoom, like what we're doing right now. We're, you know, we're having these meetings and everyone is getting that fatigue. But what is exciting me in marketing is on the events side of marketing, because events are back. They're back, baby, and they're back in a big way. So everyone on the <laughs> events side of business is like coming back full strength. I was just at a conference last week and and I was actually across from uh, Uber for business. This was a travel conference. And so they had two salespeople there and they had this really sweet, awesome gal who was their event marketer. Uh, and I was like, oh, you're actually on the event marketing team. So you're going to come and set up the booth. She's like, yeah, I have to come set up the booth, make sure the swag is replenished, helps the sales team. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like this mark, but this marketing role requires her to be on the road, to be meeting with people in person, to be really active. And she's like, yeah, I actually, they have us going into the office now two days a week. And I'm like, cool. And I'm like, and you're great. You're great with that. She's like, yeah, I think it's really good to be back. And you just, you know, you don't have that connection like you do until you're actually seeing people in person. It's almost such a delightful thing now to get people together. But one of the things that I'm seeing that I think is a really cool thing that CMOs are doing, despite whether or not the company is fully remote or whatever, they're trying to say like, hey, I have people all over the, the country. I think it'd be great to twice a year, quarterly, bring my marketing team together for a day, fly them into a on-site, off-site or whatever you want to call it, and do a jam session, really corral everyone together and have some fun working and then also team building. That's something that I try to do with my remote teams is bring bring them together frequently where we can meld ideas together. So, Yeah, you know, it's another thing CMOs really need to set expectations for. And they're going to have to come up with their own hybrid of what works because some good talent are remote. And then some people do want to come in, right? And we do have generational cultural things that, yeah, I, I want to work in Bulgaria. I want to... <laughs> Older people, they want to like work in the office. Like, yeah. 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 And it's it's bridging that gap. And again, setting expectations and saying like, hey, you know, our company is hybrid. This is our expectation. One thing that I do as a starter marketer, as you're kind of, again, tearing that foundation down and, and restarting, and I'm not saying tear it down and like, you know, fire everybody and build a new team. But as you're building the team and as you're scaling things up, you know, that's where you look to like contractors, like help things out. And you're going to bring in people that are, you know, those, those 1099 folks that are going to help you get you to that next stage before you maybe then go in and hire somebody. And so how do you supplement your full-time employees with the contractors that you have? And most of the time, those contractors are not going to be coming into office. I remember when I was a contractor in the past, they were like, Hey, come into the office. Like, cool. And I actually went in, but you're, that's just not going to happen anymore. So um, you got to be good about extra good now about your communication over Slack, over Zoom, over blah, 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 and really make sure that 
everyone has a clear understanding of what needs to be done when you're not able to just do that desk pop over. I'm, I actually, AJ, I miss the desk pop over. Just like, you hey, do? how's it going? What's good? Yes. Oh my God. I, I miss hated it so that. much. Well, you did. I could never get anything done. I just wanted you to. You like, bothered too like, much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always there's two sides to every coin i liked it from just like coordination and making that face time i'm obviously a smiley people person so i love seeing that people are doing okay when they're they're behind zoom well, i do miss you the meetings know. i mean as much yeah. as we hate meetings i miss those in-person meetings yeah but the desktop popover forget it <laughs> so, sometimes <laughs> as a marketer it's too much then then your then your ceo is popping over every five seconds to ask right? you about your attribution modeling <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> How is the customer experience and behavior affecting CMOs today? Because that's just, there was something in the news recently that CMOs are really trying to focus on this like seamless customer experience, you know, cut out the friction from initial awareness to like post-purchase. And with the changing customer landscape, what's the stable datum that they can hold on to? What is the stable one? Let me ask you something. Yeah. Hey, five years ago, did you know about the job of a life cycle marketing manager? Did you ever hear that title before? Yeah. I mean, but it was not... few and few and far between. And now right. every tech company that you probably work with or every SaaS or whatever has a life cycle marketing person, right? That's responsible for looking at that a journey. To B to C yeah, to exactly. D to from, F to back from to first, A first click to repurchase, right? Yeah. So it, it is really important. So because our marketing and sales processes have continued to evolve and things are you know more and more online every day and we're using AI and all of these things, it's so much easier now to have competitors, again, do, this, do the same thing that you're doing. So we're all competing for this mind share and it makes it really, really difficult for your amazing PPC ad or your amazing display ad or your really cool piece of content that you posted on LinkedIn to stand out, right? It all just becomes this digital noise. And so this life cycle thinking, I think is why this this position, this life cycle marketing position has become a specialty, number one. And number two, it's something that a CMO or a marketing leader needs to think about constantly. And that's where the CMO when coming into an organization can't just stay like you kind of said, like you said in the intro, in their silo, right? Because it's not just marketing anymore. You have to make sure that you're on your PR angle, you're working with the executive team. You have to make sure that you understand how customer success is communicating on the daily with customers and making sure that they're speaking the company language. And then you have to also make sure that the customers are happy. And the best way to do that is to have conversations with them, lean on their advocation, which then helps you as a marketer get great case studies and testimonials. And it just keeps going around and around and around. So the way that we stand out is by nurturing that customer relationship and really understanding it. And that's what that life cycle marketing is. And so that, you know, it's just fundamental today. It's not something that you can take for granted or not make sure you always have in your marketing plan or in, in the back of your mind as a marketing leader. Yeah, put it in your strategy. Always. Always, yes. Do you think companies are like doing that now? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're definitely stepping it up. I think that the ones that are more you know, forward-thinking or fast-paced in the tech sector are definitely you know, the, the best at definitely. it. Um, ones that are maybe in more traditional or legacy 
type of industries haven't thought that they needed that. Like maybe in manufacturing, what's a lifecycle marketing manager? You're like, well, let me tell you. And they go, oh, actually, that would probably be really good because we are you know, seeing some leakage in the funnel here. We are seeing some leakage in people renewing here. And you go, oh, yeah, that's so that we want to get a full understanding of that. So I think it is becoming more popular and other ones are, are catching up. I know a lot of fintech and e-commerce companies that could really use that. <laughs> You mentioned brand awareness earlier, and I do want to talk about that because that's super important. I always check the news for public opinion because that's a great market research tool. CMOs were talking about, you know, being worried about brand reputation, crisis management, and then those that have to handle things when data privacy and security gets breached. I was just talking to someone the other day about this and they were like, all I care about is impressions. Mm. (laughs) You know, CMO of a $2 billion company. And she's like, they're trying to be a brand household name. And she's like, all all I care about right now is impressions. And I thought about that for a second because a lot of people go, I don't really know how impressions work and this and that. It's not that important as the lead. But she said something interesting and it it made me think of Coca-Cola. I think it was World War One or World War Two. They said, we're just going to be everywhere. We're going to be on cigarettes. We're going to be on billboards. We're going to be on mm-hmm. sides of barns. We're going to be like everywhere. I mean, look at them today, right? Right. That's a long tail strategy. Long tail. Brand awareness. And this is something that takes a while and sometimes CMOs don't get it. But, you know, you say it's important. What What can CMOs do there to really make sure that they are able to keep that in their strategy? Number one, I would say it's something that's happening organically, whether you plan it in your strategy or not. But I think it's something important to consider. And it was something I was mentioning earlier, when you're going back to campaign planning and when you're going back to budgeting in your spend. And let's say we'll go deep on saying, like, hey, we're going to, we're going to go to a conference, an expo. We're going to have a booth there. It's going to cost us 30 grand. Okay, it's gonna cool. It's gonna cost us 30 grand. Let's say all in with everybody traveling and everything. 30 grand. So small booth <laughs> at a big show. <laughs> yeah. And we're we're at this campaign level and we're looking at that campaign and we go, okay, great. What is our potential there? How many buyers are gonna be at this show? Okay, there's gonna be a hundred. Cool. Of those hundred, we can maybe talk to 20. And of those 20, maybe we'll get 10%, two on the hook, right? What is their lifetime value worth? And you could say, oh. Maybe it's 30 grand for one, for two, 60 grand. Okay, cool. So if we get both of those out of that conference, we've ROI on that specific conference becomes 100%. But maybe you don't get any. Or maybe you get one and they're like, oh, well, our lifetime value is actually less because we've actually you know cinched up our budget a bit. So you say, okay, it's 10. So I spent 30 to get one. That's only giving me 10. And you go, oh, man. We only made up 30% of that of that trip. And oh my gosh, it's a failure. Well, you could look at that and go, yeah, it's a failure. But there were 100 potential buyers there that all walked by your booth that all saw your name. Because that branding awareness is happening whether you expect it to or not. And yeah, maybe they didn't all stop and you didn't get all your badge scans like you thought you were going to. You didn't have all the conversations, didn't close all the deals. But every campaign that you do, whether it's digital, whether it's this conference example... There's a certain amount of it that you need to allocate toward the branding and impressions piece. I love that the CMO is championing this because this is something that you have to look at at that long tail. And usually, the kind of the rule, the marketing rule of thumb is 30%. So, really, if you could make the 20 grand of the 
30, that is a 100% win because you made up your ROI expectation and then your branding expectation. What's 30%? 30% of your campaign should be talked up to branding and awareness. No matter Uh what like that spend is like, it could be an ad. It could be a, it could be a expo. It could be a white paper, a webinar, whatever your spend is, especially in B2B, you know, media stories. That's a huge it's a huge exactly. Amount. Yeah. Well, right, and I think that's probably a challenge that you have as a, as a as a PR professional is how do you value PR, which is all awareness and reach. Can I tie back a deal to someone seeing the article? Maybe, but they got to tell me that they read it as their entry point, so that I can go, hey, the attribution belongs to KJ. What you do is part of that, and so part of your overall marketing plan, including the PR, is you go that is a that's a branding and awareness piece, right? We have that taped in crisis management. Your exposure is directly correlated to your revenues because you're turning things around. Corollary holds true in good times, but the thing that you have to have is a marketing and sales funnel in place. And you can track that exposure with the overall revenues over time. Like we've graphed that for years with our mm-hmm. you know, particular clients and you can do that, but they have to have marketing and sales in place. And guess what? Marketing and sales have to coordinate with PR. They cannot be siloed. So PR goes, hey, what are the pain points that your prospects are saying? And then sales says, well, it's X, Y, Z. And then marketing says, okay, great. We're going to you know, do this marketing initiative for this quarter. And then PR goes, great. We're going to go warm up the markets and exploit the problems and the issues that, that people are having because of this. And boom, let's come back in a quarter and see what we did. And then everybody meets together. This never happens, (laughs) but this (laughs) This should happen. Perfect golden scenario. Yeah. Yes. And then they go, okay, great. Here's our impressions. Marketing says, here's this, you know, sales says, here's this, what worked, what didn't work. Great. Let's do it again. Right. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, I love that. That's your, your approach to it. And I love that warm up the market term. I'm not a PR expert by any means. I always go out and find a find great talented PR people to help me out. But that warming up the market, especially with like a go-to-market launch, what a great approach to have. So I love that. And I love that you're tying it back to metrics that you can look at, right? So one of the ways that I've done this with PR stuff is like, yeah, you have your boilerplate at the bottom. This is like, for more information, you know, go here kind of a thing. And we recently launched a campaign that was specific to this big industry change that was happening in corporate travel. And we built a landing page on our website because our goal is to try to be a thought leader on this because no one else is really talking about it because they're all scared of it. But we're, we're going to take this head on. And so we put all this great data, information, all this stuff on this page that's on our site. And we made sure that in all of our press outreach with, with that, we're like, this, this page, this page, this page, this page. So we can look at that traffic right. and the sources it's coming from, from the different media outlets and things. And I go, oh, look. Look at our overall site traffic and specifically to that page. Again, attribution. Perfect. uh, That I can point at to the PR stuff that we've done. And that's one thing I think that we're kind of of tying this this piece that we're talking about into a boat of uh, what we're talking about attribution stuff is making sure you're, you're building in those mechanisms to be able to track stuff. And there's really no excuse not to with the tools that we have as marketing leaders today. It's so true. It's so true. And I'll tell you this, you might already know this, but look at the circulation of the publications that they're publicizing. There's your impression. Yep. There's your, yeah. So yeah, excellent. I love that you're tackling issues head on because that's what public opinion is about. 
you know, the harm, the controversies, the money, the, the, the gender <laughs> issues that you like solve, right? Mm-hmm. That's top of funnel. And then marketing comes in and scoops that up, right? And sales yeah. says, hey, did you see this? Like, here, where are the solutions? So I love all that you're the, doing that. Developing all the talking points out of it. That yeah. every, everyone across the company from, and again, back to life cycle stuff, right? That marketing can use to talk about, that the sales team can use to talk about, that the customer success thing to talk about. Like, hey, did you know we're doing this now to help you? To continue to make our relationship better? It's all about just the positioning of that same that same topic or that same problem, like you said, that is being addressed and it helps with retention. It helps with acquisition all across the board. It's just positioning those points in different ways. Boom. I think we just solved all the problems of the world for the CMOs today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish. I wish. I've been doing this for a little while, but you know, there's, I'm sure there's other greater minds out there that probably have other ideas too, but we'll, we'll say that we solved them all. Sure. Okay, good. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about what you do. And tell me something no one knows about you or hardly anybody knows about you personally. Ooh, ooh, okay, interesting. Um, all right. Well, so first of all, who I am, yeah, career marketer my entire life. I think the thing that makes me unique is this starter approach that I take to marketing, which is my coin term, the marketing starter. I wrote a book about it that came out last year. It's all about how marketers, no matter what, level they're at, you know, entry to even CMO and beyond can take an entrepreneurial approach to the way that they approach their marketing, right? So it's seeing through that, that Steve Jobs, that Elon Musk way, or even the mom and pop shop down the street. Like, How can you look at your marketing as if it's your very own company within the company? It's your baby, right? How do you take care of it? How do you nurture it? How do you build it from the ground up? And so in my book, I talk about my stories and how I did that. I interviewed other marketers and kind of break that down to an approach of how you can really think like an entrepreneur when you're building your marketing. So that's kind of my personal ethos is blending entrepreneurship and marketing together to lead to career success. I consult on that. I do talks on that. I public speak all over the world. I have my book. I also have a, a podcast, which I wish should have you on. I got to have you on my show. Yeah, I'll be on, have you on my show. The marketing show podcast. We're, we're going to have you on there uh, real <laughs> okay. soon. And I love having conversations with other marketers who embody this entrepreneurial spirit, right? It, it just excites me. It's a lot of fun. That's a big piece of what I do. And then we talk about the corporate side. I'm the full-time CMO at a company called Amtribe, which is a corporate travel management software and service business. So your travel management company, but for business travelers. And then we have a great, awesome consumer-grade booking tool that allows for travelers and, and managers of travel at corporations to organize and keep travelers safe and within budget and all that stuff. And so that's my day thing. And I'm, and I'm taking what I've done within my experience of this entrepreneurial approach into that as well. And so we're very scrappy and kind of building things from the ground up and figuring it out as we go along. And taking chances with some of those things that we talked about this, there's this big industry change related to American Airlines and the way fares are purchased and stuff. And we're like, we're going to take this head on. And so we're, and I was just at this conference I mentioned last week, and people were mentioning our data. And I'm standing in the back of the room in some like educational sessions. And I had, there's some uh, prospect that raised his hand. He's like, I read in this news article that Amtrav has these numbers and blah, 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 and was like questioning one of the speakers. And I was Yay! just in the back of the room going, oh my gosh, like, he, like that's so cool. Like PR worked, our campaign's working. Like the, yeah. it, I, I got all goosebumps all over it. Yeah. You know what we call we that make. in PR? We call that a profitable image. Profitable image. Ooh, yeah. I like that. That's a good yeah. term. Because well, people, people talking about, yeah, it's a profitable image. You can capitalize yeah. on that all day long. That's badass. Yeah. 
It's really fun. That's kind of who I am. That's who you are. Yeah, I love talking to other marketers and networking and just sharing ideas as much as possible. So I'm I'm an open book when it comes to that stuff. So fantastic. Well, (laughs) we're going to get your contact information at the end of the show so people can get a hold of you. Yeah. Tell me, crazy passion, something about you that a lot of people don't know. Since I moved to Texas, and you know this, I've been really, really into barbecuing lately. It's my favorite food. I used to love to consume it, but now I got myself a fancy smoker and I've got myself a meter, uh, which is one of those little digital thermometers. And I'm like trying out brisket and ribs and all these things. And you can ask my wife, I I, I come in the house and my shirt just reeks like like wood smoke (laughs) all the time. And she's like, why do you stink? I'm like, because I was making us dinner. (laughs) And actually this weekend of recording of the show, I'm actually going with a friend to brisket you here in Austin and they're going to teach us how to make fantastic brisket. So that's maybe a little hidden passion. I tell you, brisket is my favorite meat in barbecue. It's my favorite. You got to do it right. You got to do it right. Low and slow, girl. Low and slow. Yeah. I think it's all the fat in it that makes it so yummy. Fantastic. Are you getting into barbecue sauces and making your own or, I mean, there's so many. So I haven't done, yeah, I haven't done the sauces yet. One, so one of the things I do is I try to collect different sauces from different bar- joints that I go to. And so if you open my fridge, I have like one from like every like barbecue place around Austin. And so then I will like pour out like little samples of them when I'm making my barbecue and I'll like dip a piece in that one and take a bite and dip a piece. And <laughs> so we'll do like sauce tastings. And <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. so many out there. Yeah, Love it. For sure. Yeah. Okay. How do people get a hold of you? LinkedIn's a great place. LinkedIn.com slash N slash T N Hines, T N H I N E S. And I'm actually T N Hines on every social media. So please find me, connect with me on all those. You can also go to my website at tnhines.com. Easy. And then of course, if you want to check out what we're working on on the corporate side of the day job, go to amtrav.com. You know, you can take a look at that site. We recently rebuilt that and are constantly making tweaks and putting all kinds of great content. So happy for you guys to take a look at that and for your audience to ask any questions and happy to happy to share what we make. I'm like I said, open book. Fantastic. And the name of your book? Called The Marketing Starter. You can find that on Amazon's and on my yeah. site and all the other places too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. And what's the name of your podcast? The Marketing Starter Podcast. <laughs> you sound Easy like a enough. CMO. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I try to just stitch the brand all together, make it as make it as seamless as possible. That's awesome. And then a last note to leave our listeners on for, you know, our fast growth entrepreneurs, our CMOs. What would be the one takeaway regarding their marketing today? Take a breath. Heed the pressure. There's a lot coming from a lot of different directions, but you need to take that, but not let it stress you the hell out. Write down those things that everyone is concerned about and level set them. One of the things that I talk about in my book is that everyone thinks there's a marketing crisis all the time. You, as a marketing leader, know what the marketing crisis is, the SVB, the Bud Light, the whatever you want to call it. And then that's when you go get KJ to help you out. But just because your CEO thinks it's a crisis, just because your employee thinks it's a crisis, doesn't mean that it is. It's up to you to decide what that crisis is and how you, as a leader, will approach fixing it, making it better, and taking care of it. Tim, thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for having me on. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from this show. 
Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between Joto PR and the user.